1 John 4, 13 and 21. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that God hath the, the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, also are we in the world. I'm going to stop there, and I'll read that second part next week, because that's what we're going to focus on. Let me pray. Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity to look into your word, and pray that you would guide us. Uh, as you speak to us, what you would have us do and believe and say. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as some of you may know, the Rodriguez family is getting older. I'm not referring to my receding hairline here, or my graying hair. I'm referring to the fact that my kids, that was my son Mark, who's now looking down at me. And it's this wonderful rite of passage where your children start to get older and then they start to drive, right? And my son has started driving. Now there are three cars in the driveway. That is a little bit of an eye-opener. But what is the eye-opener is the next insurance bill you get from the car company. Our insurance has increased by 250% simply for one safe 16-year-old driver in a red minivan of all things. Why is that? Why does that happen? You know, it's interesting. Guys hire the girls at that age. And the reason is because they assess risk. That's how these insurance companies make money. They assess risk and figure out how much assurance they need from me before they'll give me insurance. In other words, they're looking at our situation and they're looking statistically and they're saying, look, this isn't that safe a bet unless he pays us this. And so I pay in order to play, as does my son. You know, when there's little assurance, we need much insurance. Some of you may be living down at the beach. I have a, a rental property down at the beach. And it seems every year more and more expensive. This rental property that most people, it's four blocks off the beach, will not cover it. They won't touch it because it's, in the, you know, it's near a storm area. But, you know, it happens. There's a wipeout. We're wiped out. So no, we're not even going to touch it. But a company that will cover it will charge an astronomical price. Why? Because they don't have a whole lot of assurance. Okay, so they need much insurance just in case something goes wrong. We're always doing these things. We're always doing this risk-benefit analysis in the world. I don't know if you recently saw the uh, impending breakup between Michael Douglas and Catherine uh, Zeta-Jones. Uh, they're, they're getting divorced after I don't know how long. The settlement looks like it's going to be about $40 million because there was a prenuptial agreement signed and one of the clauses in there dealt with the fact that if Michael Douglas has an extramarital affair, this is the price tag that is to be associated with it. Now, whether that occurred or not, I'm not exactly sure. But the word on the street is that Catherine Zeta-Jones is going to be a very rich woman when this thing is all said and done. Now, why did she put that? She even said, I was madly in love with him when I married him. But he had cheated on his first wife, and therefore, when you have little assurance, you need much insurance. We're reading a passage here, and we're talking to a church that is struggling with assurance. They're struggling with assurance of this hope in the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's been rattled. 
There's been a storm. There's been an accident. A fender has been crumpled. And their confidence is shaken in their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we can relate to uh, these people just like we can relate to all of them. But our life sometimes seems very, very unstable. That, yes, we have everything together and on the outside it looks great, but everything's cobbled together. You know, we don't have a whole lot of assurance with our job. We don't have a whole lot of assurance with our health. It could just fall apart. We can be that same way with God. See, the people in this church, they've lost their joy. They've lost their assurance of their salvation in Christ because some people have come into the church. They've infiltrated the church. They became members. But they were speaking about a different Jesus. They were telling the folks that you don't have to trust in Christ as the only way to salvation. No, you don't have to love like Christ loved. No, you don't have to uh, obey all of His commands. They were living a false Christianity. And when they eventually left, it had been like a, a storm going through the wake of this church. And they're shattered. They're wondering what we believe is even really true. And so the purpose of this book, of 1 John, is to strengthen their assurance. In fact, if you wanted to read the whole core of, of 1 John, 1 John 5.13 is the main verse in 1 John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, that's the point. The point for them and the point for us is to enjoy and have assurance of this salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. It's very hard to enjoy the plane ride, is it, if you think that every minute it's going to fall out of the sky. Mm -hmm. But all too often our Christianity is like that, isn't it? It's, it's a bumpy ride where we find ourselves more holding our Christianity than our Christianity is holding us. How can we find this blessed assurance? How can we live in certainty? Because the best love is a secure love. How can we know? Well, this passage here gives us three ways in which we can take and have assurance that Christ's love and faithfulness to us will not fall, regardless of the circumstances. The first is the means of this blessed assurance. In this first uh, 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 verse uh, 13, he tells us the means by which we can have this blessed assurance. And then he moves on and he talks about the ground of this special assurance. What can we plant our feet on? We have a means by which we receive it. We have a ground by which we stand on. And then finally the fruit of this assurance. Here are the blessings and the benefits of this assurance that God has given to you. Because the best love is a secure love. And God wants to give us a blessed assurance. Well, let's look at these things. Uh, let's look at this first point. What are the means by which God gives us this assurance of His love? 1 John 4.13 By this we know that we abide in Him and, him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. Notice this, by this. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. John has actually been using this phrase, by this, several times as we've been preaching through this book. In the beginning... He said, by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. 1 John 2, 3. In other words, as he's talking to the people, the congregation, he's saying to them, look how you're living. If you're living in obedience to my commands, you know that I'm moving in your heart. And you can know that we are in relationship. And then in chapter 3, he says this, by this we know that we have passed from death to life, because we love our brothers. Another indicator of how we can have assurance that Christ is indeed our Savior because His love is in our hearts 
flowing out into other people. But here's a third by this. Not from looking at ourselves, not at looking at other people, but at looking at Jesus himself through his spirit. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. See, it's the Holy Spirit, my friends, that gives us understanding. Without the Holy Spirit, none of this works. Think about the great teacher, Nicodemus. Remember the story? It's late at night, Nicodemus, probably the head, uh, the head priest of all the priests, the chief teacher of Israel, comes to Jesus. And he comes at night, secretly and alone. A picture of a person stumbling in the darkness, trying to understand what's going on here. Who is this man before me? I know, Rabbi, that you are a teacher come from God, but no one can do these signs unless God is with them. But he can't see it, because Jesus responds to him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus' question, ridiculous as it is, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't come out of the womb a second time. See, he can't see, despite all of his wisdom. He can't understand but Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, despite all of Nicodemus' great learning, and I don't know if you're a great scholar, if you're a great linguistics professor, if you understand a lot about theology, without the Spirit of God, we're in the dark. We cannot apprehend what Christ has done for us. Knowledge isn't enough. Effort isn't enough either. How about our good friend uh, Saul, who became Paul? Remember, so jealous for the Jewish faith that when he heard about these Christians, he started, went out on a rampage, going to different towns, going ahead and arresting them and having them thrown in prison because they were working against the Jewish law. And Paul, one day as he's uh, breathing out murderous threats and on his assignment to go to Damascus to arrest Christians, a light from heaven shines around him. And falling to ground, the ground, he heard a voice saying, Who are you, Lord? In other words, I know you're Lord, but I don't know your name. I am Jesus, and whom you are persecuted. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. Here was a man committed with his entire life to his religion. The religion of God, the Old Testament. And lo and behold, he comes into contact with this one called Jesus, and he's blind. He can't see. For three days he must be led around. But God comes to Ananias and says to go to uh, Paul and to restore his sight. And so Ananias goes and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized. See, to truly understand, to have the assurance of God, is not to be a zealous person in itself. Great wisdom will not get you to an understanding of salvation. Great zeal in wanting to know the assurance of your faith will not get you, because this is a heavenly thing. Then finally there's Peter, isn't there? Bumbling Peter, remember he wanted to take on the whole Roman army? He's just a fisherman, not much to him, big guy, they say. And so these disciples are following around Jesus. 
And Jesus says some things that a lot of them deserve. And Jesus turns and he says to the disciples, who do you, these people, who do they say that the Son of Man is? They say, well, some say John the Baptist and some Elijah and Jeremiah. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, far Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. We need the Spirit of God to assure us of the love of Christ. Without it, we're lost. But we see that what no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived, God has prepared and revealed to us through the Spirit. For who knows this person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So no one comprehends the thoughts except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand what God has really given us. Remember when we brought Maria home, and uh, Maria was always used to uh, sleeping uh, at the orphanage where she was born. They were always sleeping twos in, in the beds. You know, it was their way of comforting themselves or whatever. And they really didn't have... You know, Nicaragua, you don't really close off because of the air. There's no air conditioning. So there always was some form of light. But in our house, there was no light. And so when we would go to put her to bed, she was not used to stark darkness. And so she would, she would be afraid. You know, we had a little kind of like butterfly light, so there was always a little light. But what, what made her really feel secure is we, we gave her a flashlight. In fact, it's like a reading light. It looks just like this. You know, because when she's in the darkness and she has no reference point and she knows her mother and father love her and they should be right over there, but they might as well be a million miles away. So how can she have assurance and confidence and joy and hope in the midst of difficulties? She needs illumination. See, my friends, we don't need necessarily more information. We need revelation that transforms us. And so what does all of this mean? All it means is we have to be willing, able, ready, and have the courage to go to the Holy Spirit and say, assure me that you love me. Because I'm looking at my life and I don't see you anywhere. I think I'm doing the right thing here. I think I'm being obedient to your commands. But what I really need to know, God, is do you love me? The Spirit has been sent for this very reason, for you and for me to speak confidence into our life. For God who said that light shine out of the darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We don't need all the right answers, we just need someone to ask the right questions to. To be a Christian is to be an intimate walk in the darkest of places the flashlight of the Holy Spirit shining a picture of the God who loves us. To be sure of our love that Christ has for us, we have given, He's given us a need. He's given us the Holy Spirit. But He's also given us a grounds. You know, the point of opening your eyes is so you can see something, right? So what are the grounds of this assurance? How can we take confidence in the fact that God really does love us? That he has saved us, that he will not leave us or abandon us. Look at 1 John 4, 14. And we too have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son 
to be the Savior of the world. You see, the Spirit that has opened their eyes has given them the grounds. We see and testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. See, before I was a Christian, that didn't make any sense to me. So what? But to a Christian, to one who understands those words, they're like life. We've seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If He's called the Father, then He must be my Father. He must be the Father over all that is good. And if He has sent His Son into the world where I am, He has sent His best. He sent His most powerful. He hasn't stayed away from me. He's come near to me. Literally incarnated in flesh. He came near to me. The Father has sent His Son to be Savior of the world. Savior. Rescuer. I don't know if you've been following these things going on in Colorado right now. We've had these you know, biblical proportion of floods. And there's some town, Lyons, Colorado, literally entirely cut off. No way to get to the things. It's cut off. And without emergency assistance and the National Guard coming in, those people are never leaving. See, they understand what it means to need a savior, a rescuer. You only understand it when you're hopeless and helpless. But the Holy Spirit shows us that we need a Savior. And that God, the Father, has sent His Son into the world to be my rescuer. He sent His best to come and get me. And if He's the Savior of the world, then to save me from death, He must go through death. He must pay the price. He must have paid the price so that I might be free. This this message of God being for us should change everything about my life. If God is for us, as Romans says, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or sword? No, we are all, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who love us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, present powers, height, depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. See, that's what they see. That's the message they hear. The grounds of their assurance of love for Christ is the fact that Christ has that kind of love for us. That's the love that moves mountains. That's the love that changes hearts. That's the love that gives us victory. See, they've been so impacted by the Holy Spirit that they can never be the same. You know, Christianity is one of the most dangerous things of all because it's an all-in thing. Okay, to... to to respond to those claims is to give your heart and your life to Him. And what if, what if it's not true? It could be disastrous, right? Have you ever given your heart to something and it didn't, wasn't able to hold the weight? It's all in with Jesus because He's all in with us. And so how can these people and us live with assurance and confidence that Christ is enough? Because the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. 
And because of that, we have seen it and we testify. Remember the book of Acts? These normal guys, these fishermen, who through the Holy Spirit were changed by God's grace. And they went out and started speaking. And they were bold. They stood in the face of thousands, ten thousands, proclaimed Christ. They were once arrested, brought before the very Sanhedrin themselves. And they were called in and commanded not to preach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The best kind of love is a secure love. God has tethered us to Him by the means of His Holy Spirit and by His work on the cross. It is the ground of our assurance. So we can stand, my friends. When you fear that you've made a poor decision in Christ, whether you find yourself starting to cling to things that are not worth your heart, you can take hope in the cross. You can take hope in the one who has come to be your Savior. And you can rest in blessed assurance upon Him. Where God is for us, who can be against us? I think the people that are happiest at night when they lay down their pillow is those who know that they're loved on each. I think the people who take the most risks in life are those who have the confidence that the foundation that they stand on is solid. I think the people that dream the biggest are the people that have the feet firmest on a foundation that can take them up to the heavens. There's only one who has that kind of reliability. It's Jesus Christ Himself. He's the means of our assurance. He's the ground of our assurance. And finally, He's the goal of our insurance. Read that last part of this uh, first two verses, excuse me, the first four verses here, which says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in Him abides in God, and God abides in Him. God gave us the grounds of our assurance, His death. He gave us the means of our assurance that we could appropriate it through the Spirit so that we could have the very assurance itself, the presence and love of God in our hearts. You know, Jesus Christ is not the means to the end. He is the end. And He has come. Whoever confesses that Jesus... That's fantastic. My son's iPad pod starts talking to me. Here, son. Go ahead and have that. Thanks so much. All right. A lesser preacher would be shaken by such things. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He is in God. See, this is more than simply a relationship that's distant, a, hey, I'm okay, you're okay. It's a forever thing. Listen in John 17, 24, Jesus praying to God, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. 
Our greatest desire in the world is to be with the one who made us. And a bridge has been created through Jesus Christ, through which God can come into the ruined temple of my life and renovate it and refurbish it and resurrect it that he might live in it with me. I don't know what's more astounding, you know, the fact that Jesus can save me or the fact that Jesus wants to. That Jesus would enjoy being with me so much that he would take such steps. And so because of this, we who have sampled the taste of Jesus Christ's presence can say, as in verse 4.16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. I like the way the NIV actually puts that. It says that, so we've come to know and to rely on the love that God has for us. We have to rely on love somewhere. We have to have assurance. Where are we going to put it? One of the great things I get to do sometimes is marry you. And I get to see them come forward, and I get to see them to turn and look in each other's eyes and to say, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, until death, I give myself to you, and I give myself to you. It's a picture of commitment. It's a picture of betrothal. God has built a bridge to you and I so we could stay there. And one day, what we live by faith now, we will experience by sight. As He descends with His kingdom and renews the world, and we will be with Him face to face. We may live in very unsteady terrain here, my friends. I don't know what your home life is like. I don't know what your relational life is like. I don't know what your financial life is like. But we have a foundation stronger than any foundation that will never ever shake or crack or break. We have the love of God in Jesus Christ manifested in His death on the cross. We have a means of assurance. Ask the Spirit. Trust Him. Listen for him to respond. We have a grounder for our assurance. Hold up the cross in your heart. Remember what God has done for you. And we have a goal of our assurance. Walk with the Lord day by day, hand in hand, arm in arm, your eyes on his. Because the best kind of love is a secure love. And you've been given one in Jesus Christ. That's a great inheritance. I will live up to it. Let's pray. Blessed assurance, Jesus. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Watching and waiting from above. Seeing Lord in perfect love. Lord, we can thank you that while we were a million miles away, with sin and depravity, that you came and you found us and you sought us and you died for us and you rose again for us. And you've given us a means of our assurance that through your spirit we could know with confidence, indeed I am saved. You've given us a ground of assurance, a cross upon which we can put our hopes. And Lord, you've given us a goal of our assurance, your very presence in us, in the most intimate and lonely of places. Lord, help us to live safe, secure, reliable, love lives in you. 
regardless of whatever you call us to do. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this church family. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.